Streaming from Abby Cat Recording Studio in Chicago. You are listening to Influence, a podcast where we explore what makes great music influential. Welcome to the next episode of Season 2 of Influenced. I'm Blake Sokoloff. And I'm Robert Dean. And today we are doing Charday, not Said, Charday, the um, great kind of neo-soul and jazzy uh, band from the UK that kind of formed in the, in the mid-80s. Uh, yeah, 82, I think. Yeah, 82. I think their first album was 84. Um, but yeah, they were formed primarily as a, as a four piece band kind of out of the, um, out of the ashes of this kind of jazz, funk, Latin fusion kind of band called Pride that had been sort of a big with the college scene in London at that time. But the band was primarily formed by singer Shade Adu, who was born in Nigeria mm-hmm. in 1959 to a Nigerian father and an English mother who was a, who was a nurse for mm-hmm. most of her life, I believe. And pretty quickly, um, her parents divorced, so Shade moved from Nigeria all the way to um, like kind of the outskirts of London, like just like kind of farm Farmville, yeah. United yeah. Kingdom. Um, she kind of just grew up in the countryside of the UK for most of her adolescence and childhood. Like, I think she was sort of bored with the um, country life. I think she kind of liked everything she saw about, like, city living and, like, all the glamour that came from that. And when she was a kid, she got very into fashion mm-hmm. and actually kind of wanted to do fashion as her kind of career for for a lot of her adolescence until she actually moved to London to kind of pursue a a career in in fashion and she while she was growing up she got really 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 into uh, a lot of the soul music that was coming out of mostly America in the in the 70s so she was very into like Diana Ross and obviously her work with the Supremes and Solo was really big on Charday and also the the work of artists like Marvin Gaye and Stevie Wonder and Curtis Mayfield. So we're actually going to play here real quick uh, from the 1973 Diana and Marvin album, the song Stop, Look, Listen to Your Heart uh, by Diana Ross and Marvin Gaye from Diana and Marvin 1973 album. So here you go. Stop, look and listen to your heart. Hi, you can't hide all the things you really. 
Yeah, I mean, you can really hear that direct influence from both Marvin Gaye and Diana Ross and her, you know, Diana Ross's sort of silky voice and, you know, just sort of the cool bass track on that song. Oh, definitely. Yeah, definitely. That's definitely was a big influence on on her specifically. I mean, you, she doesn't do many interviews mm-hmm. these days. She's actually sort of a recluse, like mm-hmm. her last her last real time in the public light was when the band released their most recent album in 2010. But um, so she very rarely does interviews, but she has said in the past that a lot of her favorite singers are those people who aren't maybe the best vocalists on the planet ever, but they have that like great soul and that Mm -hmm. great sound in their vocal. And that's definitely something both Marvin Gaye and Diana Ross have that like great soulful sound and their voices, that isn't really something I don't know if you can totally teach. I think that's something you're kind of just born with as a singer or not. So as as she kind of um, grew into her own and as an artist, and she was kind of in this fashion scene in, in London, and kind of because of that, they would always go, her and her friends and the, her peers would always go to these nightclubs. And she kind of just ended up into the music scene because of how much she was going to these clubs and mm-hmm. seeing these bands play and. And she, one of the bands she saw pretty often play was that band Pride, mm-hmm. and eventually she ended up actually being a backing vocalist in that in that band Pride, and um, through that band, like that band, I, I it it was kind of run by one specific kind of person. I don't know if he was the front man or if he was just one of the instrumentalists of the band, but the 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 issue with Pride seemed to be that they could never have a concrete line lineup long enough to really make any records or make anything super consistent because there was just so much change up in the lineup. Like they were constantly getting new singers, new instrumentalists. One of the things that kind of really was big for Charday was that she actually started playing with a lot of different people. And because pride had such a rotating line of musicians she actually ended up meeting a few members of a few people that would end up actually forming the other three members of of Charday with her including Paul Deneman who would become the bass player and for Charday and Stuart Matthewman who would kind of become the saxophone player and guitarist and kind of one of the main songwriters of the um, Charday band. Actually, Charday actually got a lot of her first gigs as an opener for Pride. Like mm. she would open for Pride and then just stay on stage and the uh-huh. rest of the band would come out. And um, one of those early songs that she started working into her sets was Smooth Operator, mm-hmm. kind of one of their first big hits. She actually wrote that song, Smooth Operator, with kind of a guy who was just like a passing member of of Pride. Like he didn't end up being a musician. Yeah, I don't think he ended up ended up really pursuing music outside of just writing that one song with Charday. So that might have been a a pretty decent royalty check that he got every, sure. every couple of years. Yeah. Uh, but one of the things that when Pride kind of fully folded and they and Charday was like, okay, I want to kind of form my own group. One of the things that the the kind of four people that would kind of form the core of that band all really they all liked a lot of disparate music, like the the keyboardist talks about being really into early hip hop, like Schooly D, who we actually played a song of in our um, Susie and the Banshees podcast. If you 
if you want to go back and listen to that. They all had pretty disparate music tastes, but the thing that they all were able to come together on was was soul music and and artists like Luther Vandross, who I'm mm-hmm. going to play here right now, a song off his 1981 album, Never Too Much, the, t- the title track actually of that album. And it was soul music like this that really gave Charday, the band, the, the the group of four musicians, kind of a, a common ground to be like, all right, this is kind of kind of where we want to go with our own sound and kind of was one of the turning points for them kind of really finding that sound that would kind of become one of their iconic and incredible sounds and influences to the musical the musical industry and landscape. So here's Never Too Much by Luther Vandross, one of the kind of artists that Charday has kind of said was one of the glue gluing points that the uh, band kind of all rallied around in the beginning. So here's Never Too Much from 1981. In the days when I was scared to touch you How I spent my day dreaming, planning how to say I love you You must have known that I had feelings deep enough to swim in That's when you opened up your heart and you told me to come in Yeah, so Luther Vandross, uh, hugely popular back in like what was that, 1981? Yeah. And uh, you can, again, hear that that um, strong bass line, poppy oh, bass line, yeah. and, and then his sort of really soulful lyrics. And he's oh, just almost in that same Sade type of, you know, uh, lyric where it's just, she's just flooding the, flooding the song with lyrics. Yeah. You know, definitely. Yeah. I, I, I definitely get that. And it's also like, it also kind of ties into the the whole kind of production that style that they would they would kind of really hone in on in there, especially on their first two albums when they were really kind of nailing in that neo soul and kind of um, sort of sophista pop and mm-hmm. um, that kind of light pop music kind of sound of their first couple albums. You can definitely hear that Luther Vandross kind of influence, especially and also like uh, uh, Diana Ross and her solo career and stuff was also moving in a lot of similar sounds to that. When Charday actually started um, showing their songs to labels to try to actually shop shop their music around and get signed, they were kind of met with a lot of criticism that their songs are too long and too jazzy mm-hmm. and too, like, like people weren't, that's not what people were looking Would, for. Wouldn't so, be mainstream. Yeah, right? it wouldn't be mainstream. So they actually, what since, since Charday had all these fashion connections, she ended up um, kind of convincing a couple of her friends to uh, um, put her on a cover of this kind of fashion and arts magazine that was kind of big in London at the time. And then like the weekend after that cover came out, mm-hmm. she booked uh, a gig at this London venue and invited like a thousand people from labels and music press and stuff like that. And ever and 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 they they played an amazing show, of course. And after that cover story came out and she played that amazing show, all the labels that that initially told her she was too jazzy and the songs are too long were trying to clamor for her and <laughs> trying to trying to sign her as, before someone else signed her. Right. And they they did eventually sign with um, Epic Records yeah. for one of actually 
Uh, I believe Epic signed um, a contract that stated um, Epic would only take 15% of album sales, which ended up being one of the most lucrative album contracts in recorded music history because uh, Charday, the band, have sold upwards of, I think, 50 million albums oh, yeah. in their career. Huge. So that kind of style of getting signed, almost a guerrilla style of getting signed by by kind of getting your name out there by yourself and then forcing people to sign you before you get signed by someone else was definitely, definitely worked out for them. And mm -hmm. I'm going to play smooth operator here real quick. Kind of one of the lead singles off of, off of their first album, diamond life released in 1984. And the song we opened with your love is King was actually a um, number one hit um, from that same album, diamond life. And Smooth Operator was, I believe, a top five hit. And both of those singles did incredible for the band. And definitely those two songs, Your Love is King and Smooth Operator, were kind of the thing that got the, 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 their foot in the door for the band. So here's Smooth Operator, the single version uh, off of the 1984 album Diamond Light. Yeah, Sade just exploded into the music world in 1984. Was um, both songs that you mentioned there, Blake, were huge hits oh, and, and just hit the charts really fast. I mean, they just kind of exploded onto the scene in that year, definitely, and really kind of set the stage for her really becoming one of the most successful British female artists of all time. Oh, I mean, absolutely, just set her up for that, definitely. And I mean, I think in I think she was. The best-selling female act in British recording history until Adele. Got I believe, it. Okay. I believe she actually did hold that title for almost probably thirty years. It's amazing. And actually, one of the, one of the things that's almost a little bit surprising is is most artists, especially British artists, tend to actually be even if they get big in the U in the in the U.S. Like Oasis have gotten big in the U.S., but they're still bigger in the U.K. Like I, Charday uh, is actually one of the few. British acts that's actually probably bigger in the U.S. Yeah. than actually in the U.K. She's had a lot of U.K. success, um, but specifically the, the band and her sound kind of came around at the point in time, specifically the point in U.S. radio that they that U.S. radio was specifically moving to a lot of what is kind of called like the quiet storm format which is a lot of that like very soulful, very like kind of sexual music, mm -hmm. like like sexual healing from Marvin Gaye mm -hmm. is kind of one of the tentpole albums that kind of started this radio format of this like sort of sultry, but like really down tempo kind of jazzy um, music that would still have a good groove and could still be played at like a club or a dance floor. And that kind of radio format started kind of sweeping the United States around the time that uh, Diamond Life and the next album, 1985's Promise, um, 
really started kind of making waves. And this album, the second album, Promise, and from 1985, is actually the only time that Charday have ever released a project within a year of another project. Mm-hmm. She's for the most part, they take sometimes five to ten, ten years, years with their with their last with their albums. The last two albums that Charday have has released were in 2010 and 2000, respectively. Right. So she's definitely one to kind of take as long as it needs for the music to really be as kind of as tight as it needs to be. And on this album, Promise, not from 1985, I'll play the um, hit song, The Sweetest Taboo, here in just a second. But um, you can really tell that they they kind of nailed the sound that they were working on in Diamond Life on this album, Promise. They mm-hmm. They kind of took that studio quality almost rock band in that it's like a very much like a four to five piece musicians in each song. They really perfected that style of music on the album Promise. And then like the the saxophone layering is even is even better than in on Diamond Life and and Diamond Life had some great horn arrangements and horn work, but but they were even they were even just nailing that sound a little bit harder on on Promise. So here's the sweetest taboo off of the album Promise from 1985 from Charday. Yeah, and to your point, things started to space out at that point because it would be uh, three years, 1988, yep. before they'd come out with their third album. Yep, yep. And and you can also hear, like, on that in that song specifically, like, you can hear that Charday is definitely getting a little bit more interested in, like, her vocal production. Like, there were some more, there were more layers of harmonies mm-hmm. and doubling on her voice in that last album, which definitely just shows, like, oh, they're getting a little bit more into the studio kind of um the studio realm and mm-hmm. some of the things you can do with that like adding more and more layers of vocals and also given that they were at that point had a had a year or so and also had found some success they were able to kind of bring in a couple backing vocalists and things like that that they would kind of keep in their in their kind of uh band for the rest of their kind of career as a band i know they've used kind of these two or three specific backing vocalists throughout their whole career, like right. live and in the studio. So mm-hmm. Charday just kind of found these two guys that she really likes how their voices sound together. So bringing in a couple other musicians is definitely something they started doing around the time that they were making their second album and Stronger Than Pride, their 1998 third album, definitely sees them starting to experiment a little bit more. And they, they're kind of, they're, they've always been, within that kind of soulful sound, but they're definitely starting to play with a few more contemporary sounds for the late eighties and early nineties on these next couple releases. Like I'm going to play a song paradise off the album stronger than pride here real quick in paradise. You can hear like these thicker drum sounds. And I think that's also some layering of drum machine in there as well. So they're definitely getting a little bit into some of that 
early hip hop and electronic production that like they were kind of straying away from in their early albums because in their early albums they didn't want to do almost anything electronic because they were particularly kind of going against the like synth pop mm-hmm. that was a big thing in the early 80s but now right. but by the late 80s early 90s the kind of synth pop sounded kind of faded away a little bit so they felt like they could use a little bit more electronic influence or electronic instrumentation without immediately being thrown in with a band like tears for fears or depeche mode so here's paradise off of stronger than pride where you can start to hear a little bit of some expansion into some more alternative influences I think they were well established at this point oh, definitely. as, you know, a hit machine almost. Oh, absolutely. And they also, I, I kind of forgot to mention uh, when we were talking about Promise, but Promise actually also won quite a few awards. Like, I believe they won the award for the, I would think they won the Grammy for Best New Artist mm. off of uh, the Promise album. Mm-hmm. And I'm actually going to play a song from their next album here real quick that they also won a Grammy for uh, No Ordinary Love. I believe they won the Grammy for Best best Vocal Performance for mm. no, no Ordinary Love, but this song was also another really big hit for the band. And this, uh, this is from their 1992 album, Love Deluxe, which also, again, saw the band take an even... Longer break. This one again, about five years between their between their last album and Love Deluxe from 1992. Uh, but this song, No Ordinary Love, definitely sees them getting the most alternative they probably have as a band. Like there's there's a lot of synth bass and a lot of actually some distorted guitars that Charday had not really been known to have in their songs by by this point. And this is definitely kind of around the time that grunge was starting to kind of mm-hmm. become the big force musically. So I, I, I can definitely see them taking a little bit of a nod from kind of the alternative and grunge scenes that were starting to really get big by the early 90s. So here's No Ordinary Love that definitely features the most alternative production and performance that Charday had given up to this point as a band. So here's No Ordinary Love from 1992's Love Deluxe.
Yeah, your description of that was really good, Blake. I mean, just this expanded sound uh, moving into that album, into that song particularly. Oh, definitely. I mean, that was definitely one of their biggest kind of hits from the sort of second half of their career. After Love Deluxe, they would take, at that point, their biggest break um, from recording and touring that they had done at that point, up like to that point. It was eight an years. eight-year eight, eight break yeah. between Lovers Deluxe and the 2000 album Lovers Rock, um, which I'll play one of the biggest hits off of that album, By Your Side, here real quick. And Lovers Rock actually saw them take some influence from kind of more modern 90s and early 2000s pop music. Um, so I'll play here By Your Side here real quick, which starts with almost like a really nice ambient kind of um, interlude or kind of an almost opening to the song, which is a really kind of interesting and unique thing that Chardet were doing at that point. And even, you know, at this point, they're they're 20 some years into their career, 26 years into their career, and they're still thinking of ways to kind of make songs a little bit more interesting or a way that they haven't necessarily done something before. So here's By Your Side off of the 2000 album Lovers Rock, which also I believe won the band a couple Grammys, at least one for best R&B performance, I believe. So here's By Your Side from the 2000 album by Charday. You think I'd leave your side, baby You know me better than Yeah, we've been talking a bit about uh, what's influenced Sade over the years and, you know, kind of their growing sound. But uh, Sade is also recognized big time as uh, an influence on contemporary music for oh, sure. absolutely. Definitely. And actually won an award in the UK just just for that, for being such a big musical influence in 2002. That's awesome. That's good. I mean, that, that's definitely well-deserved. And she's definitely – and just the band itself is definitely one of the kind of – I mean, they – Soul music and especially like the kind of sort of quote unquote quiet storm genre of music would mm. definitely be drastically different or probably not even really exist without um, Charday and her band. And one of the biggest kind of contemporary artists who actually kind of carries on a lot of that kind of neo soul and kind of jazzy sound is uh, Nora Jones, who talks a lot about Charday being a major influence. So I'm going to play here off of Nor one of Nora Jones' most recent albums, Day Breaks from 2016, her song Carry On, which has like it's this album Day Breaks was kind of a return uh to kind of that more soulful jazzy sound for Nora Jones after she had been kind of doing some more indie and indie pop influenced music. So here's Carry On by Nora Jones from 2016's Day Breaks. Into the quiet I am bound What you have lost I've never found I lost my nerve Yet peace surrounds So carry on 
Yeah, you can definitely hear the influence uh, from Sade. And we saw Nora Jones live in oh, Chicago yeah. a few years ago. I think it might have been that tour, actually. Yeah, it was definitely that, yeah. the Daybreaks tour. Yeah, so sure. um, obviously awesome live. But to oh, be able amazing. to put those two you know, people together as influencers and influencee oh, is, is pretty cool. Uh, agreed. And you can definitely, especially hear Nora's kind of take on that like, very early Chardé sound from that first kind of Diamond Life and Promise albums where where it is very jazzy and, and soulful and things, things like that. But actually sort of one of the biggest kind of influences in terms of just like record sales and influence and impact on on pop music is actually kind of from that later period of Chardé's albums where they actually got very kind of almost a little bit electronic and very kind of influential on what would kind of become very modern day R&B like Beyonce and Drake uh, both talk about the kind of both two of them obviously two of the biggest artists Mm -hmm. in pop music history right now uh, Drake talks about having multiple tattoos kind of dedicated to Sade hmm. herself and the band. And Beyonce talks about how a lot of her music, a, a lot of Sade's music was was a kind of a a safe space for Beyonce growing up where she could just kind of go and and kind of get absorbed into the music. And also another kind of major influence, so to speak, of Sade's kind of later era R&B is uh, Mary J. Blige, who, of course, just played the Super Bowl with Dr. Dre. Yeah. And uh, I'm going to play here one of her Dr. Dre-produced songs, Family Affair, one of her biggest hits um, from her 2001 album, No More Drama. So here's Family Affair by Mary J. Blige. And you can definitely hear that kind of later era uh, kind of influence sound off of Mary J. Blige here. So here's Family Affair from 2001's No More Drama. That just punctuates the the how wide of an influence uh, Sade um, laid out there. Oh, definitely, yeah. And I mean, you can really hear it in that groove. That groove is almost straight out of something like off of Promise or Love Love Deluxe. So that definitely just like goes to show you how how deep her her influence runs mm-hmm. from people doing jazz influenced music like Nora Jones to people doing some of the biggest pop music of all time like Mary J. Blige and Beyonce and Drake. And uh I I, I kind of feel like that kind of covers a lot of Charday's influence in the in the kind of the music scene, especially with a lot of her more modern influence and a lot of the ways that she kind of touches music even today, even though she's such a such a recluse, we might not hear another album or song from her and for another four or five years. Yeah. But I do kind of want to just leave leave you guys with a with one of the big songs, actually the title track off of her most recent album, Soldier of Love, which actually I think which came out in 2010 and I think does a pretty cool job of actually kind of taking a little bit of influence from some of that Mary J. Blige and Beyonce-esque pop music that Chardé actually herself influenced. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. it's kind of this interesting cyclical influence where Full you can circle. hear 
Yeah, very full circle where you can hear kind of that like Charday kind of almost making a modern R&B and um, electronic kind of hip hop album with Soldier of Love. So here I'll play the title track for you guys. Uh, but yeah, this has been the uh, most recent uh, episode of season two of Influence. So thank you guys so much for tuning thanks. in. Thanks for listening. And you can actually also finally follow us on social media now on Instagram at influenced.podcast. And thank you guys so much again. Yeah, and this has been Charday, and uh, this is Soldier of Love from their 2010 album, Soldier of Love, the uh, title track. Here you go. Thank you guys so much again for listening. This has been Influenced. I'm a borderline of my faith. I'm in the hinterland of my devotion. I'm in the front line of this battle of mine, but I'm still alive. I'm a soldier of love